We started culturally speaking to indulge our curiosity about the way others live and a desire to inspire conversations about how we have far more in common than we realise. So today we have a very special guest. Yeah, very good friend of ours. Welcome to Wally. It's good to see you. Thank you for having me. It's been a hot minute, I think, since we've all been together in the same room. It's been a and while. I think that's what, that was uh, 2019. The BC before COVID time. <laughs> um, actually, that's not true, Diwali. We went to that virtual game thing. Do you remember? Neha, oh, yeah. Neha wasn't there, I think. Oh, yeah, that's, no, you yeah, were. She wasn't. Why not? Probably because I saw virtual game and opted out. <laughs> so the long and short of it is we all used to work at the same place and we all now work at different places, but we've been friends for a few years. And I think Neha, you know, when we were thinking about this finale episode and asking the question of what does it mean to be British, it just made sense for us to ask someone who's not originally British, but is now living here. Um, yeah. So, Diwali, do you want to tell us, you know, how did you come to live here and what's your original cultural background? Well, for starters, I'm still not British. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so I'm Nigerian, of course. Uh, the, the right way to pronounce my name is Adewali. Um, but I, again, one of the things that I found interesting, because now, as a Nigerian, sometimes you take out the first letter of your name and replace with like an apostrophe or you just take it out um, because it still means the same thing, even without the first letter. Um, so I took out the A and it's just been apostrophe Diwali. But that's easier pronounced as Diwali, which is uh, a more known festival of life. <laughs> and so that has just stuck. Uh uh, so yeah, so so Diwali is what people call me at work and everywhere. So I'm I'm Nigerian. I moved into England again, 2018, and I used the game because I'd lived here before, went back to Nigeria, and then came back. So how I how I came about coming back was that I did this thing called getting married. Uh, <laughs> So, so I got married. Um, my wife, who then was of course not, not my wife, she she had studied medicine in Ukraine, and she she looked. Some people are more planners than others, right? So she planned her whole life out. She thought, you know, I went to she went. To, she's Nigerian, by the way. She went to school in Ukraine, did six or seven years in Ukraine, and whilst in Ukraine, she knew she wanted to practice medicine in England. Um, so when she, when we, when we met and we're talking about, you know, plans, okay, we're getting married and stuff. One of the hard conditions was that we were going to live in England. Uh, so that's how I, I got to move back to England. I I didn't quite like it at the time, but I'm, I'm doing okay now. I was about to ask because you said I moved again and obviously something made you leave the UK the first time. Um, and I don't, it sounds like you wouldn't necessarily have moved back had you not had that big life event getting married that brought you back. No, no, no. I mean, I, I didn't plan to move back. 
I had no plans to move back, but I'm a very open person and I'm I'm open to challenges and open to, you know, living in new places. But I thought, you know, living in England before, it was just for me, it was it was a place where as compared to other countries that I'd been to and spent a bit of time, I guess the 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 challenge is that when you live in a place versus when you visit, they're two different things, right? Completely. So, so before 2013, I come to England a couple of times, but you know, it's basically just landing in London and one fun fact fun fact i'd never flown into england via Heathrow, and i've been to england many times before and even up to now whenever i travel out of england i've just never used Heathrow airport that is shocking i yes. used to fly out of Heathrow twice a week <laughs> yes because there's this place called city airport london city oh. airport where people- it, i do like it where people feel like I, I feel like people slip on it, but it's so much easier to get through. It's so much, it's it such a it's such a breeze. So, okay, I lie. The reason I decided not to fly Heathrow was because on one flight into England, I'd, after I'd come in and out through London City, because then my sister was living in West London in in uh, East London. Was it East or South London? One of those places. So it was easier. It was like 20 minutes on the train from, from um city, London City Airport. And so one of those flights, one of those trips, my return was via Heathrow. And it was such a hassle. First to get to the airport, second to get through the airport. It was such a... And so I told myself, look, this is never going to happen again. <laughs> so yeah. So... Um, so I, before I derailed, what I was talking about was, so I visited England a couple of times, you know, came into London, always London, going to see games at the Arsenal Stadium. Um, I'm an Arsenal fan. We would never have <laughs> guessed that. <laughs> uh, but when I did live in England for a year and a half, I was in school in somewhere called Lancaster, which is a beautiful place, by the way, very close to the lakes. Uh, and I experienced a different side of England. And I thought, if at all I was going to live in this country, it has to be in this area of the country, the Northwest, you know, because it was so much more beautiful than London. It was so soothing and calming. It, it suited my personality a lot more than London. Uh, but I didn't get a job when I finished my program at Lancaster University because of sponsorship, because at that time I needed a sponsorship to stay in England. And it was, I, I felt like I was qualified. I could do the jobs, but you know, it was difficult to get a, a yeah. sponsorship. So I left in frustration. And I, you know, when you live like that, you have very little desire to come back. Um, yeah. So that was why. It wasn't. It wasn't in my plan. I was actually thinking about okay, going to the states or going to Canada to to leave uh, before life happened to me. <laughs> oh, that is a very sweet story, though. Very sweet. So you mentioned that you've obviously lived in the northwest and in London, and the difference between the two. And I think it's probably worth saying you. Well, I know that you've spent some time in the northwest again. 
um, and you're now back in London. Um, do you miss the Northwest a lot and the style Every of life? Every day. <laughs> Every single day. I tell you, for starters, I've got where I was living before. I had packing for four cars <laughs> and a garden. And I had a, like a front porch. I, it, it was it was comfortable. London on the other end, I still live comfortably. I still have a garden at the back of my house, but it's not just quite the same. It's not. It has a diff, different vibe to it. Um, I cannot do leisure drives, in London. <laughs> I used True. to do that a lot in Northwest. You know, I uh, get on my get in my car and drive to Penrith go to you know sometimes go to Carlisle as far as Carlisle in, in, in Scotland um actually drive to Edinburgh it's you know um and, and come back three hours on the road and it's such a beautiful three-hour drive you know the hills the 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 clouds especially if you do in winter or you know it's just a beautiful place but I, all I see here is just like brown roofs green you know like concrete jungle like buildings and everything it's just it's it's so much more different. Uh, I miss it every day. I, miss I mean, it. you're preaching to the choir because that part of the world is very special to me. And it's, yeah, it's always been very special to me. So, yeah, you're, I'm with you. It's a very different pace of life. You touched on something there that I think is hilarious. So we obviously know, we've known you for a long time. And, like, the space and the layout of British homes. <laughs> Explain bathrooms to people and the differences you found. No, no, no. No, before I get to bathrooms, I'll tell you where I'll start. Kitchens. Kitchens, oh okay. My oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Why <laughs> would anyone think that it's okay to put your washing machine in the kitchen? Why? So, right. to be clear to everyone, I fully understand what you mean. Growing up in our family house, the laundry was in a separate room. But due to the space, and I think it comes down to space again, in my London flat, washing machine has to go in the kitchen. No, 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 no. I beg to differ. <laughs> Space is a thing. I agree. But also, design is another thing. <laughs> like, you could you could be out of space and be creative in your thinking. You can move things around. Yeah. It would never make sense to me. Living in Nigeria, visiting homes in in Northern America, like in, in America, in Canada, I just, I, I just, I struggled. When I lived, when I was in uni and I lived in a flat, uh, when I was in, and I lived in the flat off campus, we had a utility room, which makes yeah. sense, right? Yeah. That, that makes sense to have a utility yeah. room. But if at all, there is no space for utility rooms, I would think, I would think it makes sense to put your washing machine in the bathroom. Or... It would. And that's, I think, what Janice is alluding to. In your building, that's how it works. It's not in my bathroom. It's in a oh. utility room. Okay. Because you have the space for that. But I'm saying where there is no space, right? I would choose the bathroom over the kitchen. <laughs> that is one thing. How come when there is no space, in these British homes, when you go into these houses and be like, oh yeah, the, the house is small, we'll, we'll, you know, we're trying to take out space. Why are they taking out space from the kitchen? 
And then you see bathrooms with spaces where you could like have a salsa dance and everything. What is the thinking? Why, why do I need more space in my bathroom? What do I leave in my bathroom? I don't leave in my bathroom. I don't spend time in my bathroom. I go into the bathroom, you know, do my business, get a shower, get out. I spend more time in the kitchen. But I will say, so obviously, depending on how old the place is, will have a difference on its design. But also, I think it's fair to say in your culture and my culture and Neha's culture, eating as a family is a big thing. But considering London and its, you know, average um, demography, that probably isn't the priority, right? No, of course, yeah, and that's that's what that's what has you know, mm. informed the design. I'm just saying this; these are things that I found. But your point about the bathrooms, like enough space to salsa dance in a bathroom. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Look. I live in a four bed. The ensuite bathroom. So this this room I converted into like my office. It's supposed to be a bedroom. So I took out the bed and I, you know, I have my furniture. I did I work from here. The ensuite bedroom. I've got so much space in the bathroom. Literally, I could hold my wife and we could do like, you know. <laughs> you could ballroom. Yes. I mean, not quite the ballroom, but you know what I mean? Like, and I'm thinking to myself. Maybe you should try that. <laughs> I mean, I don't need this space in the in, in the bathroom. Whereas if you go downstairs to the kitchen, you're going to struggle to. So if you have a deep freezer, which I, I have, you know, because again, culturally speaking, pun intended, <laughs> culturally speaking, uh, the British do more like buy and eat and then there's no that culture of storage. I know, right? Of storage. I found that, yeah. Storage. Food yeah. storage in the kitchen. Yeah. Exactly. What? Okay, I'll Go jump on. in on this. So I had a refurb a few years ago and I replaced my fridge because what the hell are these below the counter half fridges? That's what I've got, guys. What the hell? And the freezer that's like the little yeah what am i supposed to put in there it's never going to be enough right exactly so i had to decide between having that little coffee table in the kitchen and having a chest freezer but you know what i chose of course <laughs> the furniture and i put my freezer in because i need i need to store my like my fish my you know my meats different things you know different kinds of meats you know like all the food that i i i cannot easily get from I need to get from the African store, from the Asian yeah. store, you know, this place. I need to store them. And I'm thinking, how oh, how did nobody think about these things? Obviously, these are these are like regular houses for <laughs> for for me and maybe Neha, maybe not, maybe not Janice. Janice is, you know, different. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but but you know what I mean. Obviously, when you go into like the million dollar homes. You know, you have mm. a big chain. And but we're actually... just talking about generic design. like Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And everywhere, when I go to people's houses, I'm I'm looking at these things. Obviously, I don't say them out loud, obviously, because I need to be completely correct. But That's like... not obvious, by the way, can I just say. Knowing how outspoken you are, that is not obvious. <laughs> okay, fine. I get your point now. This is why I'm not going to invite you around, because you will judge my half freezer washing machine in my kitchen, which I couldn't do anything. And I, and I promise not to. I, I, I'm, I'm getting better. I've, I've been here what now five years, four and a half, five years. 
I know how to be a little more subtle now, you know. You, know, you you'll be fine. You'll be you'll be fine having me around. <laughs> but yeah, you you get the, you get the point, right? I go into these houses and I see these things, and I'm like, how is this normal? You know what was weird to me, right? So growing up in Hong Kong, I've always lived in apartment buildings. What I never understood was why the bathrooms had no outside-facing windows. It's the weirdest thing because in Hong Kong, even if it's um, in a normal apartment building with you know four flats on one floor, or whatever, they will always design it so that the bathroom has a window because ventilation, mm-hmm. right? You know what, so, you know what, you know what, sorry to cut you, Janice. Yeah, that, that makes sense, doesn't it? Before I did the refurb, I always used to get the problem because Neha knows this. I love my hot baths. I would have to sand and repaint my ceiling quite a few times because mold grows, however good the extractor fan is. So when I did the refurb, I actually physically brought back a high power Japanese brand ventilator and installed it. And I've never had that problem since. Do you know why? Do you know why this is news to you? And I'm, I want to apologize in advance to British people who are going to watch this episode. But British people don't shower. I'm not kidding you. This is the truth. Fine, fine. I think you can kick me off. You can kick me off the show now. <laughs> okay, elaborate. Elaborate by what? Because I understand I'm what you very, mean, but elaborate. I'm very happy to elaborate. Just go on Twitter and do a search for British shower. And you're going to see... You're gonna see horrible things. Like you see horrible things. People go like two weeks without showering, and people make this kind of this excuse. Is true. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Okay, maybe two weeks is a bit, but a week. And someone, people like when you talk to people, they're oh yeah, I share a flat with someone, and they only use the bathroom on Sundays. They only shower on Sundays. I'm telling you that this is the truth because I I was. Curious. That is not self care Sunday, people. And, no. Neha, and we were shocked about people not washing their legs in the shower. So, have this you one, seen that? This, the this way yes. they just let the water like yes. run down their bottom. And this is the this is the most bizarre thing I've heard. Like, how do you say I need to catch my breath? Because this is so first of all, this is why I'm very skeptical about my kids going to nursery five days a week. We go only three days a week because I can't have them mixing with dirty kids. You know, because these kids don't shower. They don't because because they don't. My wife's a doctor, and sometimes someone comes to she comes home like she wakes me up to tell me things like, Oh my god, you're not gonna believe what I saw today because these are shocking things they cannot wait till the next day. Like literally, she said to me one day that a mother brought her baby, and she said the baby has like skin rashes and stuff. Well, how often do you bathe this baby? Well, like, mm, only when it's dirty. And and then my wife goes on to ask, can you explain what do you mean by only when it's dirty? What do you mean by dirty? Yeah. Like when he's having like an explosion and the poop is come up like, you know, to chest. <laughs> so every other day, every day, what happens? Why well, just wipe him? You just do what? So these are the people that you, this is the thing, I cannot... When 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 my kids go to nursery, I bathe them every night when they come back. We, they cannot sleep. 
Without you don't get into bed dirty. Like, <laughs> isn't this so interesting? No. So I saw this thing that I sent to mm. Janice, and I think it's very cultural, right? In our respective cultures, like I'm Indian, Janice is Chinese, you're Nigerian. And I think this is something we have in common, right? Is how we mark clean, cleanliness, like what we consider dirty. So your wife is a doctor, and maybe she's, you might, you, you've got children, so you can talk about this. Do you know when a baby's born? It's not common practice to wash it. Whereas in our, co- yeah, so my grandmother was a midwife, right? So, she, for, you know, first thing, you wash that baby because it's... Neha, believe me when I tell you that I've heard things and I've seen things. Look. People look at you like you're crazy when people ask. So this lady said when she asked the doctors and the midwives post-delivery to bathe, like, wash that baby, you know, they were like, oh, really? It's a weird she- thing. Like, why are you doing it? And I'm like, oh my god, why were you not doing not... Yes, thank you. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Oh, guys. We think that clean. though. We think you have to mm. be clean to worship. Where we started from is the bathroom design. So these guys, they've built these bathrooms because they don't spend time in the bathrooms. I guess I'll ask another thing then. Because we all come from, like culturally our background from ex-colonies. Growing up, did you have like preconceived notions about what British culture would be like and what living in the UK is like from people that had either been or travelled or the, the, you know, the stories that were passed down. Yeah, yeah, I mean, when I first came to England many, many years ago as a, as a, as a you know, teenager, I think, the idea was that you thought it was a bit different from where you were coming from. Um, and I guess it was different. I mean, the UK today and the UK 20 years ago is vastly different, right? So I'd always thought about England as, you know, a more civilised place, which is not true. Um, more civilised, and I use that in quotes thinking, you know, people always follow the rules, you know, because... Back in Nigeria, if you did something wrong, like, okay, you can't try that abroad, right? That's what someone's going to say to you. You can't try that in England. You can't try that in the US. So you had this utopian idea of, okay, oh, the UK is this perfect place and, you know, everyone is lined up and everyone is, you know, but it's it's so far from the truth, man. Like, literally, this is like the ghettoest of ghetto I've lived in. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, that's on the side. So I, I had that expectation where, okay, fine, things are a lot easier. You know, you had to work only just a little bit to get to earn, you know, a lot. And whatever you earned was sufficient to sustain because people always sent remittances back home from, from the UK and the US. And, you know, so so I w- I've always thought about it as an easier place, but it's it's not true. It's not true. That's very interesting to me because <clears throat> obviously now you grew up here. Um, I didn't. And coming to study, it was exactly the same preconceptions around, especially academically speaking. Um, and it, it's just an open question, right? Not pointing fingers. But I wonder if it has any effect on, you know, the country's performance against other countries. Because, I mean, obviously I live here now, but... I can't tell you how much more advanced my syllabus was in Hong Kong. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, because I know 
when you're a very young child, you catch up, you know, in the primary school years, you catch up. Um, but I don't know, it was really shocking because imagine I did most of the A-level syllabus for maths already at GCSE level in Hong Kong. Then you kind of think, well, what are the other people doing while people here are catching up? Like there's no ceiling in academics, right? You can always go higher. I think we discussed it the last time we met um, Janice, you and I. Be- mm. The truth is that things are easier here. Mm. And so because of that difference, I'll speak for myself. Growing up in Nigeria, academics, because you mentioned academics, was a tough thing. And it was a thing that you had to do. Mm. And it's so rigorous. Literally, you get into school at what, age two or three, or maybe even, you know, I finished uni at 19. 19, you just get into uni here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so um, when you transfer into this place, you're just like, what's going on here? Like, Because we're just coasting, right? Exactly. In, re- in Relatively speaking. However, approach is different. This is what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. The way that we're taught is very different here. Exactly. We are very academic in Nigeria. This is what the book says. This is what you have to, you know. But I, I found it a bit more practical. Mm. And the learning here is more reflective. Yes. If you know what I mean. And it's not a good nor bad. It's just different. I, I agree. I think that is why even now, 20 years from when we left our respective um, homes to study abroad people still do it right because it is very different I think I was talking to Saneha knows this happened um, I met up with my high school politics teacher in my recent trip to Hong Kong he's moved his whole family to Hong Kong he was my teacher here in the UK and we were talking about what would have happened if I had left for boarding school younger Right. And this guy, he's now a head of sixth form at a British international school in Hong Kong. And he said that he's noticed for people who've gone to the UK from Hong Kong, maybe from year, I don't know, nine onwards, their work ethic is not as good as people like me who've gone to sixth form. So I I find that interesting because, you know, work ethic has been very, very strongly tied to Asian countries. So I am grateful, I think, that I do have a strong work ethic. But then subsequently, I've had the influence of Western <laughs> educational system. So I can also exercise the other side of my brain. So what was the biggest culture shock you experienced when you moved to the UK? Apart mm. from the bathroom, the kitchen, the washing machine and the showering. <laughs> That's that's actually a very good range because you go through like four four key things. I'm again I, I'm gonna talk about education. There is so much less force here about going all the way with your education. And it was just a shock to me. Like literally, even yesterday, I was speaking to someone, was it yesterday or you know, some time ago? And this person is in Warwick, it's 22, Warwick doing economics, studying economics, 
but they're talking to me about quitting and opening up a barbershop. You cannot mention that in Nigeria to a Nigerian parent in a Nigerian home. You cannot. Even if you have it in your mind, it, it dies there. Like, it, it never sees the light of day. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is, this is, this, for me, this was a shock. Like, kids saying to the moms, the dads, I want to be a plumber. Like, you know, yeah, I I I share that sentiment and and on the same kind of in line with that I've always been shocked when I've heard my friends like adult friends like they were adult children of their parents call their parents by their names. Oh my god. That doesn't end well in Nigeria. It comes with a slap. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Like, it doesn't matter what age you get to, you still never ever call somebody older than you by their name. I it never ends in, like, I'm an adult now. Yeah, in, in all our cultures, I feel like we have a much stronger adherence to the family hierarchy. Yes, You know, definitely. the respect you get just by being older. Even sometimes unearned respect, yes. But if, like yes. I said, just by being, just by being older, yes. And in that line as well, like even like speaking back to the parents, like if my dad says something back in Nigeria, that is final. Like the best that I could do if I disagree with my dad on a thing is I'll walk away when he's done, say what he wants to say. I'll go and attempt to do what he has said. If it doesn't work, or if it's not looking like it's going to work, I can come back and say, this thing is not going to work. But I cannot, I cannot talk back to my dad. I cannot, I cannot, I cannot say to my dad, like, I've seen people say to the dad, oh, come on. Like, 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 these things cannot come out of my mouth. Like, my dad is like, king, I'm here, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a servant, I'm a, I'm a subject. He says it, I do it. Same for my mom. It's even easier with my mom. Like I can come around and you know, like hug my mom and say, "Oh no, no, I can't do that," you know. But I, I see parent-children relationships in this country, and every time I need to pick my jaw from the ground because it's like, how, how is this? How are you surviving? How have you not died? How has your parents not killed you? Because literally, I would have died. So, Ali, you need to see the parental chat. You you need to see like the parental group chat. Mama and Papa P, if they're listening to this, would be just shook. Um, do, and that follows my next question. Do you think your children are having a very different experience in their childhood being in Britain than you ever had? And do you think you, their relationship will be very different to yours if they're influenced by British culture? First of all, I think they're going to be influenced by the culture. There's there's no running away from that. Um, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try with every last drop in my body, you know, <laughs> to make sure that, you know, it's not completely eroded what we had. Mm. Uh, because I think it's good. I think that the culture here will influence them if they end up growing up here, because like I said, I, I'm, I'm open to living anywhere in the world. But if they end up growing up here, I think they'll be influenced. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to constantly remind them that because it's happening outside, does not mean it has to happen in this house. You know, there's going to be respect 
I'm I'm not going to tolerate people talking back at me. I'm going to foster an environment where people can share their thoughts. You know, um, I'm going to spend a lot of time in the house. I don't mind giving up my career. It doesn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when it comes to versus you know raising the very uh, well balanced, mature, independent kids. But in in doing that, I need to instill a culture of respect because I think that is gone in this culture. I'm gonna I'm gonna instill a culture of def- deference where you know you don't agree with a superior person, but you you have to kind of listen because sometimes as kids, you know, you think you have you have these rights and you know these things because you've seen what's happening. And yes, you may know, but experience, you cannot buy these things. I've been there, I've done it. I'm telling you, it's not going to work. I don't have the time to explain to you why it's not going to work. You're going to have to find out. You know that chat you see on Twitter, you know? Yes. <laughs> you find out, you're going to have to find out, you know, but I'm, I'm telling you, I don't want you to find out, you know, the hard way. So there's going to be an influence but I'm going to do everything I can because I think, I think that I, I don't want my kids growing up, you know, a typical British. You want them to shower. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have to go there. And actually like someone once told me something very wise, right? That we get to choose which parts of which yeah. culture and traditions we keep, just like how we don't force women to bind their feet anymore. Yeah. You know, that was very much part of Chinese culture a long time ago. And sidebar, I'll have, you know, you are saved as Adewali in my phone. Oh, that's cool. I used to call <laughs> because you that's Adewale. your actual name. That is my actual name. Yeah, yeah, I used to call you that for so long. And then everybody at work said it differently. And then I stopped because I thought it was wrong. I'm so glad you clarified. You went with the head. Sorry. Yeah. I try always <laughs> not to call you like Diwali, like... Or Diwali, like the lights. Like, I, I try no, no, not to call Does it. anyone call you Diwali? Yeah. Yes, people do that. Yes. And I'm like, oh, my God, please don't. <laughs> Look, we have this whole conversation, I think. I don't, almost every episode we talk about this, Neha. The number of people who mispronounce her name, my name is craziness. My name is not even a foreign name. It's an English name. And it gets mispronounced constantly and the other day at a coffee shop not starbucks actually i got a really lovely cinnamon whatever tea cinnamon hibiscus it was amazing and the guy said can i get your name for the order and i said janice and then she said and then he said john (laughs) and i was like you can call me john if you want hey i always give a fake name yeah, yes, Kate my wife, my wife does one. that. My wife says Grace, Grace, because you cannot misspell Grace. You cannot miss. You want to bet, Grace? Yeah, yeah you, you want to bet? bet. Uh, okay. And okay. <laughs> on on that same topic, one of my friends, we experimented this for a couple of years, right? Every time she goes into a Starbucks, she will ask for a fat wife, and they will not smile or they just don't notice it, and they give her a flat white. Fat wife. Yeah, a fat wife. And they still give you a flat white? Because that's what they hear. Yeah. What's your fake name? What fake name do you use? I never give one. I just give Diwali. It's like, whatever you do with it is up to you. That's bold. And I've got one last question for you. 
uh, before we finish. So what does it mean to be British? Aside from, you know, just holding the passport, um, it's difficult to say, to be honest, because I'm, and I'm going to be as, as frank as possible here. The other day on LBC Radio, someone called in and said, Rishi Sunak shouldn't be our PM. It's not even British. Oh, yeah. You know, you, you saw that one. And the, the, the presenter was saying, what do you mean he's not even British? He's got a British passport. He went to like, he's been here all his life. He went to school here. Like, what does it mean he's not British? Like, he wasn't born here. Well, neither was Boris Johnson. He was born in New York. You know, so that question, honestly, I'm I'm not able to answer that question categorically because I'm still struggling to understand what it means to be British. If you're not if you're not British by birth, are you really British to some people? If you're British by birth, but you don't look a certain way, are you really British to some people? You know, exactly. You know, I'm going to get my British passport next year. Does that make me British? To the you tax know? man, it does. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but exactly. But on the streets, am I really, you know, am I, do I have to put my passport on my forehead to show that I'm British before someone treats me in a particular way? So I guess that, that question, you know, is pregnant and it's got so many things about it. I mean, it could be the culture. For me, when I when I met a British person, a white British woman in her 60s or 70s, I could tell you don't need anything and you don't need to say, you just need to open your mouth. Sometimes you don't even need to open your mouth, I just need to see you and I know you're British. But for someone like me, you know, I could be born here, look like this, speak like this, because even though I was born... In this yeah. country, I grew up around Nigerians and Nigerian community, and you know the accent has not even you know really changed because I you know, and I'm still not British enough for people. So honestly, I I just don't know. Subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform, and follow us on Instagram at Culturally Speaking Podcast. You can also check out our website, culturallyspeaking.co.uk, for a transcript of this episode. Share your stories or your show ideas with us by sending us an email at theculturallyspeaking at gmail.com.